Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Yeah. What's so good to see you guys this morning. Uh, I apologize for that little outburst. Um, I'm slightly competitive. <clears throat> I may not eat for a week, but I am slightly competitive. Uh, anyway, so good to see you guys. If I have not met yet, my name is Jernigan. I'm the pastor here. So glad that you are with us today. Uh, if you are joining us again, uh, you visited us maybe last week at Easter. Hey, can we give a round of applause for all of our folks who are checking us out and hanging out? So good to see you. Uh, and put your hands together one more time for all of our folks that are tuning in online. Thank you so much. Man, we love you. We consider you part of the family. Glad that you were tuning in with us. Um, I want to ask you a question today. How many of you have ever had this question come up in your mind? What happens after you die? Anybody ever wondered? Yeah, most of us. Yeah. It turns out that's one of the most common questions asked by humans who breathe air. Um, that they, they, they want to know that I, I did some research this last week and I found, uh, I came across a, a groundbreaking research study that was, uh, seeking to learn about, uh, you know, more about us as humans and the human condition. And it was, man, it was a huge study. I mean, they studied, you know, every corner of the globe and not just current research data. They also tried to go back and, and unearth stuff from, you know, history. And, and what do we know about the different periods of human history uh, on earth? And um, I don't know, they, they didn't share how much it cost. I can't imagine how much it cost. And they came to this finding that 100% of people die. In case that's a newsflash, can you turn to your neighbor and say, I got bad news. You going to die. Um, listen, I, I, it, it's the truth. And, and it's, it's, you know, you maybe you're here today and maybe you're one of the folks that's new with us and you're not really sure about Discover Church and who this, you know, big preacher dude is and all that stuff. And you're thinking, man, that's kind of morbid on a beautiful Sunday morning. Um, and it, it is a little bit, it is, and it's, it's, it's not very funny to talk about death. It's not very fun to talk about death, but I just figured there's two things in life that are certain, death and taxes, and I'm not qualified to talk to you about your taxes, and so I'm going to talk about the other one. And since we're all going to face this, since we're all going to come to a point where we expire, I figured that maybe it would be a good idea to talk about it since at some point... It's one of the few things that every single one of us, regardless of where you came from, the family you're born into, your race, your political preference, who you are, how much money you make, we are all going to face this at some point. So I just figured that we ought to talk about it. And I, I, I believe that it's important that we we talk about it because, because there's, a, there's, a, there's a truth that we need to wrestle with. And, and it's this, that what you believe about what happens after you die will dictate or direct how you live before you die. And since we're all going to die, then maybe it would be appropriate today on the Sunday after Easter to spend some time talking about, well, what do we believe about what happens after you die? And as I began praying about, God, where do you want us to go after Easter Sunday? I just began to feel like God was leading me to talk about well, let's talk about what happens after people die. I mean, we're going to celebrate the pinnacle of our foundation, the foundation of our faith. We celebrated it last week on Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it just seems like it would be an appropriate place if ever there was a time that we're going to talk about 
what happens after you die, that it would be after we celebrate the, the one who died and rose again in order to give us hope and to give us a future. And so I want to dive into this today, and I've got a very, um, well, you know, you're probably familiar that most people have a feeling that some version of where you go to is either heaven or hell. And so I got really creative with the title of this message, and I titled it Hell. Now, I'm glad we can laugh about that. Because let's be honest, this is not, I mean, this isn't fun preaching. And this isn't fun listening. But I want to dive into this today and, and I want to I unpack it. Now, you know, as a pastor, you might imagine I've done my fair share of funerals. And, um, you know, every, every time I do a funeral, sometimes I've done funerals that uh, are people that I don't know. Those are always a little, a little difficult for me. Um, doing the funeral of somebody that I've never met before. I, you know, I do the best I can to get to know the person through the family, but it's always a little, a little different. And, and I've done a number of funerals for people that I knew and loved and cared for dearly. Every funeral that I've ever done has always had a, a, a note of sorrow and grief because a loved one is gone. And, and some of the funerals that I've, that I've been a part of have been filled, even though that there is grief, there's joy. And some of the funerals that I've been a part of have just been weird. And I'm going to let you know right now that if I ever do a funeral for someone in your family, I will never, I will never broadcast whether or not yours was a weird funeral. But I am going to tell you about a funeral that I did that was really weird. It was a volunteer in our student ministry. It was when I was a youth pastor uh, at uh, Abundant Life Church in Lee Summit. I was there for a long time. And uh, one of our volunteers, I, she, had, she had come to me on a Wednesday night and, and uh, she had, uh, a couple days before, she had, her mom had passed away. And so, you know, after the services and stuff, I pulled her and her husband in my office and, you know, just trying to do, you know, good Christian things. You know, I'm sorry. Tell me about your mom. Um, you know, were you close? Asking those kinds of questions. And then she said, she said, Jern, my, my mom didn't go to church, and so we don't have anybody to do the funeral. Would you do the funeral? You know, and she's crying and all that stuff. I said, absolutely, I will. And right after I said that, she snapped up like this, and it, kind of, it was kind of one of those, like, a, you okay? But she snapped up real quick. She, she stopped crying, deadpan face. She goes, now I have to tell you something. My family's weird. And that's what I did. And she goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You've, have you ever heard of the black sheep of the family? And I go, well, of course. And immediately I thought of who the black sheep of my family is. <clears throat> and, um, and I'm not going to tell you who that is either. Uh, <clears throat> and she goes, my entire family calls me the white sheep of the family. And that's what I did. And she goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Every time I get together for, with a family gathering, me and my husband leave there feeling like we just watched an episode of the Jerry Springer show. And that's what I did. And so I, I'm like, I don't know what to expect. And so I didn't meet anyone else from the family. So the day of the funeral, I get there and I meet them. And, you know, she introduced me. She goes, hey, this is my pastor. And, you know, they all said hi to me. And then, and then she goes, hey, I want to introduce you. This is Journey. And hi, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? This is my pastor. And then they all went, And that's what I thought. And so we get into the funeral situation. There's so many details of the story. I don't have time to tell you all of it, but we get into the funeral and they said, listen, what we really want to do is we want to have a time for an open mic. I go, that's fine. I've been a part of several of those. That's cool. 
And so um, I do the eulogy and I, hey, at this time, by the way, the song selection, I, this, this should have been a, a dead ringer. The song selection were for the funeral to be played in the honor of this person were by the artists of Alan Jackson, Boys to Men and Chris Tomlin. Praise the Lord. And, and so we do the eulogy, right? And this lady stands up and she, she introduces herself. She's like a middle-aged woman, shorter with kind of brownish, uh, grayish hair. And she stands up, she introduces herself and she goes, and I wish I could remember the lady's name. I never met her. So it was one of those weird things, the lady who died. And she goes, you know what? She was a world-class grade A beep. And that's what I did. And it was one of those funeral homes where like everyone's here and then the family's over there. You know what I'm talking about? And there's like 50 people here. There's about 40 people. And as soon as she said that, I turned and looked at the family and they, they're laughing. Okay. And, and then five or six other people grabbed the mic and shared a very similar sentiment. And it always started there and then kind of rounded a corner for some of them. And they said, but you know what? If you made it on her good side, she could be kind of nice sometimes. And I'm sitting there in front of God and everybody going, God, what do I do? They finally finished. We did the... uh uh, then, then the siblings, she had three siblings, uh, four siblings that were alive. And so they came and the, and the oldest brother said a few words. Now, have you guys ever heard of it? You, you're familiar with the 21 gun salute. Yeah. You know, military and they you know, fire, 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 right. That whole thing. It was, it was kind of like that, except not at all. The old, they, they all stand, so I'm like here and the casket's here and everybody's there and they all come and stand up and the oldest brother says a few words. And then it's like they had pre-planned this and they gave a very different salute. In unison, they all raise their hands like this and flip off the casket and say, blank you, sis, we love you and we're gonna miss you. And then everybody laughed immediately preceded by overwhelming grief and crying. And that's what I did. And into that, I shared a, a funeral message. And, and then, amen, I think. I don't know. The next week, I saw the lady who was our volunteer, and she's laughing, right? I'm like, hey, how you doing? How's your family? And she, she goes, oh, we're okay, you know? And she goes, I told you we were weird. I said, you know what? You did prepare me for that, yet somehow I still severely underestimated. And with that, let's dive into the message. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up today. There's going to be a lot of Bible coming at you, uh, so... Uh, I want to encourage you to take some notes. Uh, if you want to keep up in your Bible, you know, good luck. Um, but we're going to put the verses on the screen for you like we do every Sunday. So let's come back to the question, what happens after you die? Well, the Bible tells us of three things that happen. Number one, your physical body dies. Hebrews 9.27 says, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. All right, so when you die, your physical body and all the components and all the parts, it just, you know, shuts down. All right, quits working. The second thing that happens is your soul separates from your physical body. 
Now, Jesus talked about it this way in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. He said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So he's clearly teaching that there is a separation between the body and the soul, and they're not mutually exclusive, right? So the destination of one is not necessarily the destination of the other. And so what he goes on to say is, is, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, what, kind of the main point he's getting across here is, is don't live in the fear of men or don't live for the approval of men. Instead, live for the approval of God. Live for the approval of the one who has the ability to bring destruction, not just to your body, but to your soul as well. And kind of embedded in there is the point that we, we see where the body and the soul separate. And, and, and then number three, basically what happens is your body and your soul separates and then, then you will face judgment. Go back to Hebrews 9.27. It says, and it is appointed for men to die once, but what? But after this, after what? After death, after your physical body dies, after your soul is separated from the body, then after this, the judgment. Hebrews 13, 14 goes on to say that this world is not our, our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. In other words, what Hebrews 13 is telling us is that earth is not our permanent home. We are not um, a, a, a physical beings who occasionally have a spiritual encounter. Instead, the Bible paints the picture that we are spiritual beings who while we are alive on planet earth are having a temporary physical experience. Okay. Now I have to tell you that as I was preparing for this message, I, began, I was praying through, God, I feel like you want me to talk about this, but, but every message I've ever heard about hell has, has been like, like, mm, get sanctified or get chicken fried, turn or burn. And, and I came into this message saying, Lord, I, I mean, I know what, I know what you say about hell and, and I, I want to help my, I want to help my people know what you had to say about hell. But God, I want to, want to figure out maybe a, a way to talk about it where we don't, we don't take the reality out of hell, but we also don't, don't do like the, you, you better, you know, do it, do it now. Hurry, quick, fast, turn over. Frankly, most of the message I've ever heard preached on hell were, really filled with a lot more anger than love. And when I think about the heart of God, I don't believe that God would, when, when God writes about hell, I don't believe that God writes about hell from a position of anger. I believe he writes about hell from a position of love. And that's gonna make sense as we um, unpack all this. And so I did quite a bit of research studying like some pastors that I respect and admire, like how do, when they've talked about it, how do they talk about it? And so I've, I've kind of pulled some, some things in, um, in, into my message to kind of help do that. Um, and so, uh, so I want to, want to do that today. And, and in order to try to help bring some perspective, what is this? It's appointed for man once to die. And then after that, the judgment, what is the judgment? Well, the Bible paints the picture that there are two judgments, um, for two different groups of people and the judgment that they receive there is going to lead to two very different places. And the difference between the two judgments and the two people and the two destinations is one decision. And the one decision we find in the book of Revelation chapter 20 and, um, and, and, and it's rooted in what you do with or what you process with the thing that I told you at the beginning that what you believe about what happens after you die directs how you live before you die. And Revelation chapter 20 begins to give us some, some pictures of this. And verse 11 says this, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it and the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead 
both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And everyone, verse 15, everyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What's going on here? This is talking about the, the book. This is the most important book. I, I don't know if you know this or not. The Bible is an important book, but it's not the most important book. The most important book is the one that, 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 that God reveals here called the book of life. Sometimes pastors and theologians refer to it as the Lamb's book of life. And what is this? What is this book of life? It is the book that God has in his, in where he is in heaven. And it is the, it is the, it is the book that contains the name of every person who is considered a child of God. Now, I want to clarify something because there's some fuzzy teaching around this sometimes that, that every single person on earth is designed by God. Every single person on earth is created by God. Every single person on earth is loved by God, chased by God, pursued by God, overwhelmingly so. But not every person on earth is a child of God. The only ones that the Bible refers to as a child of God are the ones who have by faith trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to give them new life. The Bible refers to our the moment that that happens by faith where we recognize, God, I'm not perfect. I've messed up. I've screwed up. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I can have a relationship with you so that I can be called your child. And once I am called your child, then I am given access to an inheritance that is salvation, that is eternal life in heaven, that is a relationship with you. And it's only by faith in that moment, the Bible says that we become born again, we become spiritually alive. And when we become spiritually spiritually alive, just like on your birth certificate, that's your record of your birth. Somewhere in the state you were born, the state has a record of your birth. And the Lamb's book of life is God's book of your spiritual birth. And the names that are recorded in the Lamb's book of life experience a very different judgment and destination than the, the people whose names are not recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And scripture goes on to say, as we learned in Revelation 20, that, that the names, the people whose names are not recorded in the Lamb's book of life go to the lake of fire. This process, this is called the great white throne judgment. It is a judgment that I am of the belief of that, that, that the only people who go to this judgment are unbelieving people who do not have a relationship with Christ that are not considered a child of God. And scripture says that as a result of that, that they are then, their destination then for the rest of eternity is the lake of fire. What is the lake of fire? Well, the lake of fire is hell. Now, this is a point where, you know, this, is, this gets really hard to preach and it gets really hard for a lot of us to stomach and it causes a lot of people to ask a very, very, very important question. Why would God, why would a loving God, why would a good God send people to hell? That's perhaps one of the most important questions, particularly if you are somebody that you're not really sure where you are on this whole Jesus thing, where you are on the whole God thing. It's a critical question for you to wrestle to that down today and get an answer today. And I wanna spend the rest of my time trying to provide some context to try to bring some answers to that. But in order for me to answer that, I gotta teach you a couple things. And the first thing I need to teach you is that the most loving person who ever existed, his name is Jesus. He spent more time talking about hell than anybody else recorded in scripture. How does that compute? How does the most loving person ever spend more time talking about hell than anybody else? 
Well, we have to provide some context. Most of the time when Jesus taught on hell, when he spoke about hell, the, the Greek word that he would use would be the word Gehenna. Gehenna was a, was a real place known by all of the Jews. He used it as a metaphor to help, help his followers understand what hell was about because all of his people would have immediately understood, all of the Jews would have understood exactly what Gehenna was. Gehenna was a real place that was on the outside of Jerusalem where they would go and they would, they would dump trash. They would dump human and waste. They would go and um, they, they, would, they would throw dead bodies there. If they didn't have a place for them to be buried, they would throw dead bodies there. And there was a, a fire that was constantly burning there. And it was, it was the way that it was because way, way, way back in Jewish history, there was an ancient king by the name of King Ahaz. And King Ahaz was the king of the Jewish people, but he was not a godly man. He did not follow God. He did not serve God. Instead, what he did is he began to worship other gods. He began to worship pagan gods. And one of those gods was a god named Moloch. The way that you worship the god called Moloch was through live child sacrifices. And here is the king of God's people, the king of the nation of Israel, leading God's people into the worship of this pagan God. And the way that they would do that is they would have a fire and they would lay their living children on the fire for them to be burned alive. This happened, it was known by a different name at that point, but Gehenna was the place where most Jews assumed where these child sacrifices would have begun to have happened. And in Jesus's day, the Jews knew Gehenna as a place called the place of no more. No more peace, no more life, no more friends, no more chances. There are no homes in Gehenna. There are no businesses in Gehenna. There is only dead, rotten things. And Jesus would use Gehenna as the launching pad from which he would talk about hell. Well, then why, why then does hell even exist? Well, in order for us to understand why hell exists, we need to, we need to dive into a couple of other things. And there's a lot of reasons that I could give you as to why hell exists, but, but there are two prominent, there are two primary reasons why hell exists. And I'm just going to tell you on the front end, the first one, there's going to be lots of amens. Yep. Uh-huh. A lot of head nodding, like, uh-huh, right on. I agree with that. Thank goodness for that. But the second one is going to be a lot of, mm, I'm not sure about that one. The first reason, the primary reason why hell exists is for God to righteously judge Satan. Now listen, here's what we have to understand. Satan is so much more than just a contrived boogeyman. If God is Batman, Satan is not Joker. Satan is the personification, the embodiment of evil. Satan hates everything that God cares about. Not only does Satan hate everything that God cares about, Satan hates everything that is good. Satan hates you. No, no, no. You, I'm not talking about hate like, like, oh, I hate eggplant parmesan. Right? Like, like it, 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 he's, not, he's not talking like I hate, like, like some people would say I hate cilantro. Right? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he hates you. Anything and everything that brings you happiness, joy, 
goodness, contentment, peace, those things fill him with a maniacal rage to be acted out upon so that he can inflict the greatest amount of devastation and destruction upon your life. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. He hates your careers. He hates your identity. He hates, he hates your, your, your security. He hates your family. He hates everything about you. In fact, if it were possible for Satan to experience any kind of joy, the only things that would cause him joy would be your most painful and excruciatingly awful pain, misery, and destruction. Satan laughs when people are murdered. He has joy when people are raped. Are you getting the picture? And scripture says in Revelation 20, Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever 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 and ever. Praise God, thank you, Lord, that the devil never wins. But that's not all. Most of us would go, amen, that's right, come on. That's a good one, keep preaching, preacher. But the second one's a little bit more difficult because Hell also exists for God to righteously judge evil. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse eight, nine says this. In reference to hell, it says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. This is where it starts to get uncomfortable. This is where it starts to get unpalatable, this is where it gets hard to stomach because this is where it starts to affect us. Because what this is saying is that that hell is a place for God to righteously judge anything and everything that is evil. We have to ask the question then, what is evil? Well, evil is anything that's done apart from God's will and God's ways. The Bible refers to that as sin. And this is the point where a lot of people would look away and go, well, <laughs> I don't know about all that now. now you, you, you stop it with that, with that angry talk. And be coming at me like that, pastor. Because what happens is, is we get to a point where we, 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 we start to think that, 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 that we're different. God wouldn't judge me, and if he would, then he's not a good and loving God. And, and this is the part where a lot of people begin to depart and begin to go their own way, apart from Jesus, apart from God, apart from the Bible. But before you do, if you're on the brink of that right now, before you do, I wanna ask you a question. If God does not righteously judge all evil, then how could he be good? If he doesn't righteously judge all evil, then how could he possibly be good? I mean, at some point, what we hold on to with the idea that God is good is the hope, it's the belief that they're going to get theirs someday. That, that the, the worst among us, the Hitlers and the, the Bin Ladens, that, that someday they're going to get theirs. They're vile, wicked, awful, evil, evil people, and they're going to get theirs. Those are the kinds of people that will often cause us to say, I hope you rot in hell. 
But the problem is, is that we never want to look at ourselves and ever use the, the, the descriptor of evil upon ourselves. We want to look at what they do. We don't want to consider what I do. What happens is, is we begin to just identify our own arbitrary standards of who should and should not be punished. And you know what's amazing? In my life, here's what I found. Anytime somebody does something against me, I want them to be punished. But it's amazing how every time that I do something against somebody else, you know what I want? Grace. And if the determining factor between heaven and hell was my arbitrary standard or your arbitrary standard, then we'd have a whole lot of people going a whole lot of different places and a whole lot of different realities because there's some people that are going to heaven that you think should have been going to the other place. And you better be careful with that because there's some people that are questioning your destination from time to time. We can't use our arbitrary standard. We just make things up and make, no, no, no. If God is God and if God is good, then he, he must righteously judge all evil. He cannot be holy and unjust at the same time. He cannot be righteous and randomly choose through arbitrary standards that abide by how I feel in a moment about who deserves righteous judgment and who does not. That's not how it works. Instead, what God has done is God has defined and he has described what the standard is. And here's the standard. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the word used for the word uh, fallen short is a Greek word that paints the picture that you've missed the mark. There's one small, precise little bullseye. And if you don't hit the bullseye, you've missed the mark. And the bullseye is not good. The bullseye is not helping people. The bullseye isn't going to church, giving money, serving people in the community. The bullseye is not reading the Bible or praying. The bullseye is not um, helping the old lady across the street. The bullseye is, are you perfect? And if you're not perfect, then you've fallen short. And God gives us some help. He defines some things for us to help us understand how it's impossible for anybody to be perfect. Have you ever lied? Well, that's sin. Have you ever stolen? Even a little piece of bubble gum when you were a kid? That's sin. Have you ever looked at somebody that you're not married to with Romantic or sexual thoughts and feelings? I'm not going to ask you to answer that. But that's also sin. Listen, that's just three little things. And we all screwed right now. And herein lies the genius of Satan. Because if I was Satan, I would work really, really hard to make people believe that I don't exist. If I were Satan, I would work really, really hard to make people believe that I'm just a, you know, just a folklore. There's nothing real about me. If I were Satan, I would work really, really hard not only to make people believe that I don't exist, I would work really, really hard to make people believe that hell doesn't exist. Because if hell doesn't exist, then there's no consequences for anything that we do. We can live how we want. Beg, borrow, cheat, steal, murder, rape, doesn't matter. 
There's no consequences. YOLO! If hell isn't real, then there's no reason for Christians to live in any kind of way that brings glory and honor to God because what would be the point? If hell isn't real, then the pastors and the churches can certainly just stop talking about it. If hell isn't real, then there's no reason for anybody to ever live sacrificially, to ever give to the point that it's uncomfortable, to serve in places where it's inconvenient. If hell doesn't exist, then we can just all go on and do what we want, how we want, when we want, whenever we want, because there's absolutely no reason why I should live any other way than what satisfies me, what pleases me, what makes me feel good in the situation and in the moment. And that's exactly what Satan has done. And part of the reason why I believe the world is the way the world is right now is because Satan has done such a good job of convincing people that hell isn't real. And can I also tell you, let me just talk a little insider language right now to all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I also tell you that I believe the reason why so many Christians live the way that they live, where they live in such a way, where they proclaim to follow God, but they believe that he just winks at their sin and that it's not a big deal and we can just justify my pornography and justify my, my, my cheating and justify my lying and justify being a jerk and justify being all, the reason the reason why we live such a way where we feel like God just winks at it and it's not that big of a deal is because somewhere deep down in our own souls, we've questioned the truth of God and believing whether or not hell is really real. And God wants us to understand today that it is real. And I wanna, I wanna close by telling you a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. It's a story that he tells to try to help people understand hell and how it works and what you'll experience there. And there's four lessons that we're gonna learn from this, four lessons from, from the other side, if you will. This is what, what Jesus says in Luke 16, verse 19. He says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, that's hard for us to really understand how rich this dude was because, because in his day, linen was, was you know, to get a, to get a, a small piece of linen what was equivalent of several days worth of wages and and to have something that was the color purple purple was the hardest color to to dye um, uh, linen into or to any kind of fabric into and it's very wealthy very only the wealthy and the rich had it but this dude I mean he here's what I'm trying to say my man wasn't shopping at Kohl's okay all right and 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 he didn't go up class to Dillard's okay he wasn't doing that. I'm talking this dude, he, he wasn't looking for clearance section, all right? He was shopping at, you know, Prada, Gucci. He had his Louis Vuitton luggage, uh, name brand all the way. Then there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at the gate and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, listen, I have to tell you, there's a whole lot of theology that I can't, I don't have time to unpack here. But before Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, people didn't die and go to heaven and hell. Before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when faithful Jews died, they went to a paradise type place called Abraham's bosom. And anyone who died that was not a faithful Jew went to a different place called Hades. These both reflect, they paint a picture. They're kind of a, a forerunner, a precursor, if you will, a foreshadowing of what heaven and hell would be, but they're not heaven and hell, but they're very, very similar. 
And he goes on and Jesus says this, we're gonna notice four things that happened here. Then he, the rich man, cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in the flame. You see, what we learn here is that hell is a place where you're gonna be fully conscious. He's cognitively aware. He feels everything. He's aware of his situation. It's not just some, 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 some random ceasing of existence. No, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a continual. In fact, I believe that when you die, you will no longer be, your spiritual body will no longer be limited by the limitations of a physical body. And what you know, what you think, what, what you're capable of will be greater than what you're capable of now alive in this body on earth. Verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those there pass to us. Here's the second thing that we learn. We learn that the destination is fixed. You can't change course. You can't, you can't take an exit. You can't, you can't flip a UE. There's no recalculating. It's fixed. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my, my father's house. Now notice, after he understands that the destination is fixed, notice he doesn't spend any time arguing about the judgment because he knows that the judgment is fair. He, he's, not, he's not arguing his case. He's not saying this is wrong. He's not saying I was innocent. He's not saying that this was messed up. He, he's, not, he's not angry. He's not upset. No, no, no. Instead, he just immediately pivots because he understands that the judgment is fair. I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. You see, the other thing that we learn is that, that, that he on the other side, after he recognizes and he's fully cognitively aware of everything, he knows his destination is fixed and he knows that the judgment is fair. He now begs for somebody, anybody, please go tell my family about Christ. Please, somebody. I don't want them to experience this. I don't want them to know this place. I don't want them to come here. This is a terrible place. It's an awful place. I love my family. I love my brothers too much. Somebody, please, would you send somebody to my brothers so that they can know that this thing isn't a joke. This isn't just mythical. This is real. This is a real place and it's a real existence and it's terrible and it's awful and it's tormenting. Please, somebody go tell my family about Christ. You listen to this and say, man, that sounds terrible. It sounds awful. Why? God, why would you send people there? Why would you do that, God? If you are so good, if you're so loving, God, why would you do this? And the answer is this. that God doesn't send people to hell. God sent Jesus to rescue people from that destination. God created hell so he could righteously judge Satan, not you. 
He is a good God. He is a holy God. And because he's good and because he's holy, he has to righteously judge evil. And he has a standard and the standard is perfection. God doesn't want to judge people. God doesn't want to condemn people. God didn't create hell with you or me in his mind. God created hell as the most terrible, awful place for punishment for the most evil thing that has ever existed. And in this story, Jesus gives us a glimpse of a man who is there and he's not angry. He's, he's not sad. He's concerned for the people that are close to him, but far from God. And he's saying, I missed it. I missed my chance. I heard the pastors preaching and I saw the bumper stickers and I thought it was just a joke. But I know now it's not a joke. God, I wish I could go back and tell my brothers. I wish I could tell my family and my nieces and my nephews so that they don't have to experience this. God, why would you send, if you are a good God, why would you send people to hell? He doesn't. Instead, the Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness but his long suffering. You know what that means? It means that he is waiting. He's patiently, patiently waiting. He is pursuing you. He's sending people into your life to tell you about him. He's sending people into your life so that you can know about Christ. He's, he's, he brought that song to, to your radio station so that you can know about the hope that is found only in Christ. He brought you to this church today so that you can know that, that there is hope in Christ. Somebody sent you this link online and you're watching it today because he wants you to know I love you too much to send you to that terrible place. The place of no more. Patiently, patiently, patiently waiting. The time is going to come when God is going to say that's it. Time is over. It's done. Show stop. End credits finished. In that moment, there's going to be no more chances. And God is patiently, patiently waiting. Why? Because he is not willing that any single person who's drawing breath on the planet earth should perish but that all could come to everlasting life so that all could go to a different judgment than the judgment or the great white throne judgment so that they could have their name in the Lamb's book of life so that they can encounter and experience heaven, which we're going to unpack next week. God is not willing that any should perish. Listen to me, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus or, or, or in, in, maybe in your mind, you're not sure. Maybe in your mind, you're thinking, you know, I went to church, I did the good things, I did all the stuff, right? I, th I, th I think, I think I'm there. I think I'm in. Listen, if there is a question, if there is a doubt in your mind today, hear the word of God. He is not willing for you to perish. But he wants you to have 
everlasting life. Hell is a real place that God never wanted you to go to. And anyone whose name is not written in the book of life, placing their faith in Christ, recognizing that they've sinned and they need to be forgiven, they need rescuing, they need to be made spiritually alive. And in so doing through that faith, they've had their name in the Lamb's book of life. They become born again. They become a new creation. Anybody whose name is not in the Lamb's book of life, their destination will be hell. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that is your destination. And as lovingly as I possibly can, I want you to know God loves you too much to let you get there. There's nothing you've done. There's no sin you've committed. There's no great, awful, terrible thing that causes you to be filled with shame and guilt that God is embarrassed by because scripture says that while you were still a sinner, Christ died. Can I also tell you, for those of you that are already in Christ, you know that you're not going to hell. Can I tell you, this also should serve as one of the primary motivations. Hear the voice of the man on the other side saying, somebody go tell my family. Don't miss the chance. This is why we do church the way that we do, so that you can invite people, so that they can know you don't have to go where you're headed. You can have something different in Christ. What you believe about what happens after you die directs how you live before you die. And it's my great hope today that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you could hear the voice of God, the heartbeat of God speaking directly to you. That terrible place was never meant for you. I thought of you, I imagined you, I created you. I knit you together when you were in your mother's womb. And I know you've done things that violate my laws. But if you would trust in Christ, I don't see your sin, I only see my son. I want you to be my child and I want you to know that I have something so much better in store for you. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.